that uh, it, it, I, I love I love that I love what Young Life is doing. I love what Lee Jane is doing through Young Life here in, in our county. And, and uh, a lot of what I'm talking about this morning as we wrap up our, our relationship principles uh, is already being put into effect. It's already being worked uh, through the ministry of Young Life. And, and it's awesome that you and I have the opportunity to, uh, to, to be a part of something that's already going strong. Um, today, like I said, we're wrapping up our, our eight relationship principles and we started this series off uh, talking about how we find the, the key to relationships. How, uh, again, Scripture from the very beginning all the way through to the very end, the, the Bible, God's Word, is a story on relationships. It's a story about how we get to live in relationship with Him, but also, so the same, it's, it's also a story on how we live in relationship with each other. In Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, it says this, In your relationships with one another, which you're going to have relationships in life, whether you like them, whether you don't like them, whether you want to have them, whether you don't want to have them, people are going to cross your path. You're going to be involved in other people's lives on a daily basis. So in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. In other words, Christ gave you an example have that mindset. It continues on, it says, who although God didn't use this to his own advantage, rather humbled himself, taking the very nature of a servant, becoming obedient even to death on a cross. Who even though being God, did not puff himself up, was not arrogant, was not conceited, not, not well, I, I'm holier than thou, I'm mightier than thou, I'm a deity, you're not. But instead, humbled himself in obedience. The key that Christ showed us in relationships, the number one factor that we all have to maintain in our lives is, is humility. Christ walked in humility. Day in and day out, he walked a humbled life. He said, the, the, the least will be exalted. Those who try and exalt themselves will be humbled. It's about going before, as Christ did in his example, humbling yourselves and trying to reach a hand out instead of just picking yourself up. The key to building relationships is found in Christ's example in humility. It's not in what you can do for me, but rather what I can do for you. Now, uh, God builds three ways. In, as This was a, a message that uh, Pastor Ron Corzine, my pastor, the, the overseer of this church, he, he has a message that he talks about God being the builder. And in it, he talks about God builds three different ways, the there's revelational, relational, and generational. And as I, as I pondered back on his message, as I, I, was, I was listening to it again, revelation is God working in us. The revelation is Christ working in our lives. The revelation in our lives of who Christ is, that is always Christ working. Revelation knowledge is always step number one, and it's always revealed by Christ. Christ reveals himself to each and every one of us. Look, I, I can point somebody to him. That's where relationship comes in. Relationship will come in and I can point somebody the way. My life can be an example of what would the scripture tell us? 
in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. So my life can be an example of who Christ was, but it's going to be Christ's, the revelation knowledge of Christ in their lives that brings them to this understanding. I can tell the story of the cross a million times over, but until all of a sudden they look to God, until there's that revelation knowledge from God, it's just going to be another story to them. There's the revelation knowledge of who God is. Now understand, my, my actions or even my inactions can certainly prevent somebody from seeing Christ. What I do, how I live my life with the relationships around me can certainly prevent somebody from seeing Christ. The church has a history of doing just that. We sit there and we make up our rules and our regulations and, and the whole while I, I, I see God just shaking his head going, that's, that's not what it's about. So the same, we've done stuff right too, we, we have. And, and it's in those things, it's in those followings of Christ and trying to mimic his example that all of a sudden people see who he is, the revelation knowledge of Christ. So while I, do, I, I strive to have a conscience without offense toward others, in other words, my faith, well, there's a scripture, faith without works is, is what? Dead. Faith without works is dead. But my works, my works in somebody else's life will never make me their savior. I am not somebody else's savior. There's the revelation knowledge of Jesus Christ, what he did on, on Calvary's cross. That alone is unto salvation. God builds revelationally. Now, again, I said this, how does he build revelationally? How does the revelation knowledge pass on from person to person? It comes through God builds relationally. In Matthew 5, there's a, a passage, and Jesus is talking, and, and he's, he's describing how we as followers of Christ, and he, he likens us to salt and to light. He likens us to salt and to light, things, that, things that, that have an impact on the stuff around them. Light pierces darkness. Salt flavors. It enhances life around it. So we're to be salt and light, Jesus says. And he says that we're not supposed to hide our revelation knowledge, but that we're supposed to allow our good flavor to be recognized within our relationships. And in verse 16, Jesus wraps up this whole salt and light thing by saying this, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So as you're in relationship, as you are salt and light, as you are living with other people, as you are engaging other people, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. This is what we were created for. It's through relationships that people see God's work in your life and then they understand the revelation knowledge. Then they start to figure it out. Man, he couldn't have done that on his own. I knew who he used to be. I knew how he was. I knew how he acted. I knew what life was like for him. There's no way that he's saying all this stuff now because I know who he was. But, that, but who he was is not who he is. God has obviously done something different. There's the revelation that they start to realize, they start to see, and all of a sudden, the story of a man on a cross becomes so much more, and it becomes, becomes a passion. It becomes a realization that, that that individual that they knew that was and now is something different, old, gone, something new, now in their own life, they too start to recognize, 
wait a second, I too, Christ died for him, then, then that means Christ died for me too. Relationships. This is what we were created for, to live in relationship, yes, with him, but also with each other. Our relationships should encourage others toward the revelation of who Christ is in their lives. Now, again, I, I liken this back to what uh, Young Life is already doing. The reason God builds revelationally, the reason God builds through relationships is so that he can build generationally. We don't just sit back and hold on to all this stuff. The reason that we build is to impart into others, to raise up a child in the way that they should go. This is ultimately what relationships are all about. It's about an imparting. It's about a building up, an encouraging of the next generation. Look, we're, I, I mentioned it. We're in the process of, of building a new building. And, and I, I have people all the time, and, and it's, it's, their first question is, hey, how's the new church coming? And, and in me, I, I want to real quickly just you know, correct them because that's not what we want to do. And now, now hear me, because I do, people understand we are building it, and we are Christian fellowship, and so, so yes, we're building this building, but, but that's not the church. The revelation knowledge, people will say, oh, well, well has so-and-so gotten saved? Well, I haven't taken them to church, so Pastor Corey can say, no, man, come on. Look, the reason I'm up here, the reason I preach to you, the reason I share to you is to encourage you to live a life out in relationship with others Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Because in those relationships that you have outside of these four walls, the revelation knowledge of who God is is going to pierce somebody's heart. And it's in those moments that we build generationally. Look, we want to have all the different projects, functions, and, and, and all the, we want to build this building so that we have the ability, we want to create a, a multi-ministry community center. Multi-ministry community center. We want people from all over the community to be able to have another location to be able to share the good news, to play a basketball game, to, to sit there and have a Sunday school, to, to have a, a, a coffee with somebody and, and just sit there and share. Because it's in those moments that we build each other, relationally, revelationally, and then we build up, as Young Life is doing, generationally, and all of a sudden we're touching lives for eternity. Not for today, for eternity. A church can have all the programs in the world, but if people aren't changing, all you have is religion. We can have all the programs in the world. We can, we can have this great facility. We can, we can do all the different programs we want in there. But if there is no relationship with people, if there is people not being able to see the revelation knowledge of who God is in your life, if we're not imparting into the next generation, then all we have is religion. One of the greatest causes we can get behind is building generationally. That's what Christ did for us. That was his example to all of us. And, and it's because of Christ's example that's the reason why we have these eight relationship principles. Because relationships are important and we have to deal with them daily. The ones you want to, the ones you don't want to. You have to deal with them. And it only makes sense that we understand the mindset of Christ, the principles that he used to walk in relationship with those that were around him. His disciples walked with him day in and day out for, for over three years. Look, there, there's some of you that, 
that I, I can stand to walk with for a week. Not in this room. I mean, like, from other places that I've been to. Three years. He did something right. He showed us exactly how to walk in relationship with people, that you can walk in life every day with people and not sit there and get flustered, frustrated and walk away from the situation. Because, because that's what our quick response is. Something doesn't go our way. Again, we think of relationships as something to be used for me, and so when something doesn't go our way, all of a sudden, then we, we what? We write off the relationship. This is why we've written the eight relationship principles. Principles that if we would implement into our own lives, how we interact with relationships around us, people would see Christ at work in us. If we lived by the eight relationship principles, if you lived by the eight relationship principles in your life, people around you would come to the revelation knowledge of who Christ is because of how we interact with each other that he would be revealed in their lives, and then that their relationships would be used to build into other generations. I want to real quickly run through the, the first five principles that we've already uh, uh, talked over the last couple weeks. Again, if you missed the last two weeks, we have them online. You can go back and listen to them. We also have, I think, at both desks in the back and even out in the lobby, we have uh, some little business cards made up with all the eight principles on them. Y'all feel free to grab some, take some. But let me real quickly review the first one, and again, I've told you all this, number one is what all the principles come back to. Number one is, is ultimately where it's at. Look, can you just forgive and move on? The forgiveness principle. The forgiveness principle simply states, I will choose to walk in forgiveness and not easily take offense against me. In Acts, it says, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and man. This, this, is the, this is the ultimate principle. All the others, numbers two through eight, basically they are just steps that get you back to number one. Can you forgive? Can you move on? In this world, fences will happen. There's going to be people, there's going to be relationships, there's going to be things that, that come up, people that you interact with, and, and there's going to be offenses. Somebody's going to say something wrong, somebody's going to look at you wrong, something's going to happen along the way, but, but it's not up to them so much as it is up to me how I react to that situation. So can I forgive? Can I move on? Can I realize that, that there's probably a million other reasons why they gave that look other than, well, I don't think they like me anymore. Can I realize that there's other options out there? Can I just forgive and move on? If it's something that's, that's serious enough, okay, well, now we're going to work through two through eight. Number two being the first word principle. If there is an issue, if you looked at me dirty, <laughs> then I'm not going to go talk to somebody else about it. I'm going to come to you first, the first word principle. If something happens that jeopardizes this relationship, I'm going to talk to you first about it. You will be the first person to hear about any problem I have with you. Matthew 18, 15 says, if a brother or sister offends you, go and talk to him. Work it out between the two of you. If they listen, you've made a friend. You've built the relationship. Have you spoken to anybody else about this? From there, we continued on into the faithfulness principle. Faithfulness being a key to relationships, but understanding that, that faithfulness to the relationship is so far, so far more important than the issue could ever be. If you walk into any situation with the understanding before you ever get into the situation that you're not going to allow any situation to... to 
to uh, overshadow the relationship, then when the situations do arise, you can real quickly come back to the idea that, no, no, I've made a choice that this relationship is important. We're going to resolve this. We're going to figure this out. Because the relationship is always more important than the issue. Proverbs 27.6 says, wounds from a sincere or a faithful friend are always better than many kisses from an enemy. Look, is, is this problem, is this issue, does it concern or threaten our relationship? The question here being, will you value the relationship above the issues, above the non-essentials, in order to walk together in unity? From there, we, go, we went into uh, number four, the, the friendship principle. The friendship principle, easily stated, says nobody's a mind reader. It's my responsibility to approach you if I need your help. I will not expect you to interpret my actions or recognize my heart's condition. Proverbs 18.24 says, friends come and friends go, but a true friend sticks by you like family. Look, situations arise. They do. But I can't just presume a situation arose unless I actually approach you and ask, hey, did a situation arise? It's between us. It's between two people that care about the relationship. Are you offended that I did not recognize you were troubled? Or, or, or are you willing to assume the responsibility of letting others know if or when you need help? This is, this is a hard one in our society. We've built up this, this mentality, this idea of, well, it's, it's my way or the highway. I did it my way. It's me, myself, and I. It's, we have all these different little lines that we use. And so we, we don't like to admit that we need help. I've got a... I've got a, a, a nine-year-old daughter who doesn't need help in anything. Nothing. As, as she's doing it wrong, I will instruct her on how to do it right, and she'll tell me, I know. I'm like, no, no, you don't, because you're not doing it. Well, this is just how I do it. Well, no, no, that still doesn't make it right. You're, stu you're still doing it wrong. Let me help you. Nope, I don't need it. I got it. I got it. All right, show me how you do it wrong. <laughs> We've, it's, it's a part of our culture. It's a part of our society. We, we don't want to accept help from other people. But, but if God created relationships, if God created us to live in, to walk in relationships, then, then it only makes sense then, that you start to realize our need for relationships, the people around us. The people around you are, are placed by God for a reason. Two reasons. They're there for you, and you're there for them. There's situations that they're going to go through that they need your help. There's situations that you're going to go through that you need their help. It's the friendship principle. From there, we covered last week, we ended on the, the four-day principle. And this just simply states, uh, look, as situations arise, as stuff comes up in, in relationships, I will not allow anything that arises to go longer than four days. In other words, some people need a cooling off period. If you, can, if you can handle the situation immediately, perfect. But some people need to... <sighs> look, how many of you would, would admit that you're a little hot-headed, quick to react? Look at that. Usually, usually the people that are hot-headed are the ones you can get to raise their hands. They're like, yeah, I do that. What about... The four-day principle, it, look, if, if you are, if you're quick to react, you know. You know that sometimes, you know, a day later, you start to realize, oh, I, mm, I might have shouldn't have. I, I probably, eh, oh, oh, you meant, you meant it that way. I, yeah, my bad. I totally took that wrong. 
it, it happens. But the four-day principle just says, I'm not going to allow any situation that arises to go longer than four days. Because when you let it go longer than four days, then it starts to fester. Root starts to take in your heart. Scripture talks about the, the seed, the root of bitterness that can completely destroy and harden a heart. The four-day principle in Proverbs 28, 13, it says you can't whitewash your sins and get by with it. You find mercy by admitting it, by leaving them. How long have you been troubled about this issue? Are you willing to confront in a gentle and a peaceable manner as Christ did before the end of four days? Look, can you, can you take care of the situation instead of sitting there and brooding over it and letting it fester? Today, I want to pick up with number six. And number six is the final word principle. The final word principle simply states, I will believe and act upon the last words we spoke concerning our relationship. Look, this one, for me, all of, all of the principles, if you live by the eight relationship principles, they're freeing. But for me, this one right here is probably one of the most freeing uh, of, of all the principles. I don't have to worry about what you think about what I said. I don't have to sit there and, and ponder or, or question whether or not I'm, I'm doing a good job. But we do that. Whether you're an employer, an employee, whether you're a student, a teacher, we constantly, we sit there and worry. We, we compare our own lives. We, we reevaluate where we're at when, when there's people whose job is to evaluate. And when it's their, ter- when it's their job to, to evaluate, they'll do it at a certain time. And, and what you have to do is rely upon that last evaluation. So the boss comes in and he tells you, man, you're doing a good job. Keep it up. Well, I don't have to go back to the boss the next day and say, hey, am I still doing a good job? Is it, am, I, is it, am I working? Is it okay? Do I still have a job here? So the same as an, as an employer, I don't have to constantly go back to, to employees and say, look, good job. You're doing, yep, yep, you're doing good. You're doing, keep it up. Keep it up. Now, look, understand, there, there are reasons we live in relationship. There's communication. I, I, I wasn't allowed to say I do um, 17 years ago and, and, and then never say I love you again. All right, so there, there is communication that constantly happens. There is a need to continue to work at the relationship. But I don't have to wonder. I don't have to sit there and, and wonder, well, I wonder if we're still good on this situation. No, look, they told me we were good, so I'm going to proceed as if we're good until they tell me we're not. Look, some of y'all, man, y'all need to grab a hold of this one. Because, look, so often... We easily forget and we start assuming. Assuming. Y'all know. It's the lowest form of communication. It says nothing about a value in the relationship. Assuming says, I don't don't have to talk to them. I don't want to talk to them. I'm just going to take it upon my own knowledge what they think instead of just approaching them and talking to them or living by the final word. See, final word is, not a, is no longer an assumption. If they, if they gave me a go, then, then I'm good to go. If they said, man, there's an issue here, then I need to understand that there's an issue here. And we work on it because we value the relationship, we work on it. 
The first word principle, uh, it says it's my responsibility to notify the other person if they're uncertain about what was the last word spoken. So if there's an update that's needed to what is presently believed, then whose responsibility is it again? Again, if there's something that happens between you and I, it's my job to approach the situation, approach the relationship, because I value the relationship. This is exactly how Christ lived his life. Christ showed us example after example after example. But a lot of times when we haven't heard from somebody in a while, it's, it's easy to think that something is, has gone wrong within the relationship. To let our minds start to wander. To sit there and start conjuring up situations or, or, or something happening within a, within a relationship. Look, Scripture tells us we're all prone to vain imagination. It, it happens. But that's why we see Paul write that we are to take every thought captive. Because the thought that come into my head, the emotions that start to, to, to wander through my head, are not what the final word was said in regards to our relationship. I don't trust the assumption of, of my thoughts and, and my ponderings and my wonderings. No, I trust the relationship, the value of your word, the value of my word. Our minds wander, we begin to think we either did something wrong or that somebody else has changed their mind. But what does Philippians 4.8 tell us? Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just or pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Another version says it simply like this, summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds, by meditating on the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. What a contrast to how we usually live our lives. The final word principle. Did you forget or disregard what we last spoke to one another concerning our relationship? Are you willing to believe what was last spoken to you? Look, guys, if you can grab a hold of this one. Again, for me, this one right here, it's, I, I can continue. I can keep going because I don't have to get a pat on the back every day. Because I know that my affirmation was already given to me. And I can hold on to it. I, I've told you all before, I have a, a card in my, in my office that I keep. Ron Corzine says, I believe in you. Until he writes me another card that says, don't believe in you anymore. Then, then I've got that one. Or you're screwing up. Stop it. Go into the woodshed. Any one of those, then I'll know something's wrong. But until then, I believe in you. I've got it. That's the final word. Number seven, moving on. Number seven, this is, this is, this is one that, that uh, has a tendency to throw the most religious of people. Not that anybody in here is religious, but the flexibility principle. I will search out options with you in making possible adjustments in how we relate to one another. Now, what happens, uh, especially in, in, uh, in, in religious circles, is people hear the words, be flexible, and automatically start to rise up in arms. Understand, I didn't say we compromise our beliefs. I didn't say we compromise beliefs. I said we're to be flexible. Scripture even tells us to be flexible. In, in Isaiah 1 verse 18, it says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. 
Let us reason together. Let us talk this situation out. There's another verse in, in uh, Malachi 3. It says, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. In other words, there was people that, that had disagreements, but they came together. They feared the Lord, so they came together. They reasoned with one another. They sat down. They weighed this option, this option, my belief, your belief, and, and they worked it out. They hashed it out, and it says, and then the Lord gave attention and heard it. There's something about being able to hear somebody's background. You see, we all see life from different perspectives. We see life through the lens of our own past. We look at life jaded because of being jaded. So the same, as you, as you realize that you see life in a particular form or a particular fashion or, or, and, and because of the way you were treated, because of the way you were brought up, because of the way a mom or dad did you, because of the way a, a pastor or somebody did you, we look to other people to do the same to us. But if I live my life like that, then, then it would only reason that you too coming from a different past, from a different background, from a, a, a different standard, from a different lens, would see life differently than I do. We see life in different lenses. It, yes, it, it's all the same life, but, but we see it through different perspectives. So can we, as a people who are supposed to live in relationship with one another, stop believing that our lens is the only lens to see life through? There's people who have gone through maybe even the same situations, but more probable, different situations than you've ever been through, and they see life differently. They see the same world, but they see it differently than you do. Can we sit down understanding that there's different backgrounds, different upbringings, and, and come together being flexible, trying to hear each other out? We don't have to stand rigid. Good and sincere people can change over time. How many of you, uh, how many of you would say that you're the exact same person today that you were five years ago? Thank God. <laughs> we change. Situations change. Life changes. Is it possible that, that when you entered into a relationship with an individual, that, that as you continued in life, maybe, maybe the paths have gone different routes, and now as you're sitting there, there there's just a need to reevaluate how you approach the relationship? Circumstances have changed. If the nature of the relationship that we had in the beginning is not working as it once did, look, all this relationship states is that you and I will approach one another and talk about the need to readjust the agreement so that we can continue to walk together in relationship, so that we can continue to build each other up. We want to be the kind of people who can be flexible. Be able to accept inevitable changes in life. Flexible people, look, flexible people are a joy to be around. Inflexible people? We won't go there. James 3, 17 and 18 says this, wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, it's gentle at all times, and it's willing to yield to others. 
Wisdom from above. In other words, wisdom from God in your life is willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Those who are peacemakers, who are striving in every situation to to not find fault, but instead to find reason to build the relationship. This is what enables us to come together, to work together, to stay together. This. The question on this one being, look, are there adjustments in our relationship that need to be made because of, because of changes within our personal lives, because of changes within our circumstances that have happened? And, and are you willing to be a flexible person? And now, after all of these principles have been applied, you've gone two through seven, you've done everything to show value to the relationship over the issue, and you still haven't found common ground, we have number eight, um, <laughs> the frustration principle. Because see, uh, what happens, if, if we initially, we didn't have this one in there. This, we, we were the seven principles for good relationships, and then we realized there's, there's some frustrated people out there. We might need a frustration principle because a lot of times, again, our natural, our natural reaction when we get frustrated is to shut it off. I'm done. I'm walking away. I wash my hands, turn my back. You know, I'll tell you I love you, but that doesn't mean I got to like you. <laughs> the frustration principle simply states when all efforts to apply these principles have failed to the point of frustration, because of the relationship, we commit ourselves to appeal to a person with higher authority for the sake of the relationship. There's so many people, there's so many circumstances, there's so many things that, that could be easily averted if people would, would take the time. Again, it comes from a realization of needing you, needing me, and, and this, if we would just go talk to somebody. But we like to, we like to sit there and boil over, chop it off, walk away from it rather than invest in it, put some time into it, talk with people about it. Look, uh, who, who doesn't, who do, show of hands, who, who has never gotten frustrated? I was going to say if a hand went up. <laughs> we believe that if we live by these principles, there's fewer problems in life. There's fewer problems in our relationships. The frustration principle simply stating that, that once we've put all of these other principles into practice, as best as you can, and one of us is still frustrated that we will inform the other person that we're going to seek help from a third party who has authority. Like, this isn't like, like, okay, I'm going to go talk to my people about our situation. Okay, we're, First word says it's between you and I. And from there, it's, we, we get a third person involved. We get a, a brother or a sister who can speak into both of our lives. Seek help from a third person who has, a third, who has authority to help us resolve this internal conflict. Hebrews 13 verse 17 says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. Please. Give me reason to do this with joy not with sorrow. There's no perfect system on how to relate. But, but a God who values relationships 
desires for us to live together in unity. And he can give us wisdom to be friends with those that he has brought into our lives to, to impact the people around us. On this particular principle, basically the essence is, is have you followed through with all the other principles? Have you not been able to forgive and so now you've worked two through seven? If you've worked two through seven and there's still frustration within, then, then do you have a, a leader, a person of higher authority in y'all's life that you can appeal to if needed? Are you committed to make such an appeal? As I, as I close this morning, I want to repeat the Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Again, it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ who although God didn't use this to his own advantage, but rather he humbled himself, taking the very nature of a servant and becoming obedient even to death on a cross. Guys, when, when you were born, you were born into a family. For some of you, that, that immediately conjures up a, an idea of a mom and or a dad, or for some others, it, it, maybe you didn't know your parents, but, but there was some sort of a family system, whether it was... Uh, a foster home or an adoptive home or, or a mom and a dad or even just a mom or just a dad. Whatever it was, you were born into a family. Why? Because God builds relationally. That's how he builds in each one of our lives. There has to be a relationship for the generation to continue. And if I'm born of my father, I'm automatically related to any other children that he has. It's my brother Grayson. How do I know that's my brother Grayson? Because, well, I was there. <laughs> Dad and mom had both of us. It was a relationship. And I know that we're brothers because, because he has my father, I have his father, we, we share our father. Just as you didn't get born physically by yourself, you don't get born again by yourself either. God builds relationally. There are people who have gotten saved. They're, they're born again. They know who Jesus Christ is. But the sad thing is there's no further building in their life because they haven't identified their family. They haven't recognized who their father is. Maybe they understand, okay, well, he's my father, but they haven't re realized that, that along with that, if he's my father and he's your father, then who are we? Brothers and sisters. Relationship. Ephesians 4, 16 says this, From the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. I love this passage. It's talking about if you and I are of the same body, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, if, if we're supposed to live in relationship together, if we're supposed to come together to make things work, the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Look, the growth power of the body is in the joints. So the growth potential in the body of Christ is in the joining, the coming together of the body. 
And until you are joined, until you are set, until you are, are placed, no growth, no building can take place in your life. Until you come to a realization that it's not just about you and God and you can walk away from everything else. Until you realize that there's brothers and sisters in Christ that need you and that you as well need them. Growth can't happen. Revelational. Relational. So we can impart into the next generation. So that we can be something different. As Exodus 34.10 says, And the Lord said, I'm making a covenant with you before all of your people. You will do wonders never before done in any nation. All the world will see. What are they going to see? Christ in us. Something different, something new. It's a relationship. It's not my good deeds. It's not my good works necessarily that changes them. But, but they see who Christ is in my life. And all of a sudden, that revelation knowledge brings about a, a power, a change. Not on a Sunday morning because the pastor said something extremely eloquent. But because they lived in relationship with brothers and sisters of Christ. Day in, day out. Because they saw Christ at work in you. And they knew you before. They knew you couldn't do it on your own. They know something had to change. They know something's different. And, and they start to see something new. They start to recognize something's different. And now, all of a sudden, they see the power of Christ. Revelation, knowledge. Because of relationship. And now it's time to impart generationally. Man, I pray, I pray, I pray that this community... That all of Northeast Texas will see something new, see something different because of how we live with each other. If you'll bow your heads with me as I close, Father God, just as you were talking about salt and light, Lord Jesus, you ended by saying in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds, that they may glorify the Father in heaven. Lord, I pray that people would see how we live together in relationship. And when they see that, Lord God, when they see your fruit in our lives, your spirit in our lives, Lord God, alive, well, breathing on fire, Lord Jesus, that there would be a change in theirs. The revelation knowledge of God would just pierce their heart, Lord Jesus, and, and would create a change change that starts from the inside working its way out, Lord Jesus. As we continue to live in relationship, Father, I pray that, that we would look for opportunities to extend a hand, to reach out to those around us, to show love, to, to live as an example in our relationships with one another, to have the same mindset as Christ. God, I thank you for your using each and every one of us, each and every one of us, Lord God, the positions you've placed us in, the, the people that are around us are there for a purpose. Our life and theirs and theirs and ours. Lord, I pray that we would be conscious, that we would be mindful, and that we would use them, Lord God, for your glory, for your kingdom. To see the revelation knowledge of Jesus passed on generationally. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. Guys, God bless you all. Y'all have a wonderful week. Look forward to seeing you all. Y'all don't forget to sign up, help out with Young Life. Lee Jane's back there in the